0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. You can
1: be seated if you would like. Our text this evening again is going to go back to the book of Colossians where we have been working our way for some time. And I want to, if you will, to join me in Colossians chapter 3. Tonight we're going to be considering... Verses 15, 16, and 17. I want to talk to you this evening about something that I feel is in the atmosphere here tonight in our worship and praise. And by the way, just thank you for stepping right into the presence of the Lord. What a welcomed, refreshing that is. But I want to talk this evening about the spirit of thankfulness. And um, I can't think of a better Catalyst for this evening than to tell you that um, yesterday morning I had the opportunity to speak. Some of you will recognize his name, Brother James or Jim McElhaney, from uh, he's now in the state of Tennessee and with his son. But um, Brother McElhaney is like plugging in to 440, and when you talk to him. If you hang up depressed, your hearing aid was off. He is the most positive and uplifting and and affirming uh, person I believe I've almost ever met. And as he began to just share a few things with us, his son, I was actually had, his phone number had changed and I had to get a hold of his son in order to get a hold of him. And and so I said, well, by the way, how is your dad doing? He said, well, you know, dad, dad is just dad. He said he met someone at the restaurant the other morning where he has breakfast and he said that led to a Bible study. He said the next thing I know, they were at the church and he was baptizing the man and prayed him through to the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Now that's the Brother McElhaney that I know. <laughs> and that doesn't mean he's never had a rainy or cloudy day or none of the above. But it was a reminder of how refreshing it is to be around someone that has their hands so firmly on the spirit of thankfulness and appreciation and uh, he was talking about uh, he had to have an MRI recently and this is my last little story on this and he said I came back to the church and told everybody said you can go have all the MRIs you want to because it's sanctified now because he said I quoted scriptures the whole time I was I was in there and I prayed and he said, you just feel free to get all those you want because it's sanctified. He said, I sanctified that machine. Amen. As encouraged as I was when I hung up with him, I've hung up with other people where I thought, wow. (laughs) I need someone that owns a large enough spatula to come scrape me up off the ground and set me back in my chair. And so when you have those contrasting images and it is very easy to see how important the spirit of thankfulness is. I believe that one of the key principles, if I could use that terminology of Christian living, is an attitude of thanksgiving, an attitude of thankfulness. We have, I understand completely that there's probably not one living soul in this building that doesn't have something to worry about. Even the children that are present in this building have something to worry about. That may not weigh real high on your personal Richter scale, but it does on theirs. And so we all have something to be concerned about, but I believe that our overarching spirit should be that of thankfulness and of all the the people on the face of the earth to know that our sins have been remitted by the power of Jesus' name, baptism, and that we have been filled with his spirit. We just think about what we have been given. I understand in in our human limitations that it is very difficult to understand the power of forgiveness because in its totality we can't quite wrap our minds around that. But every sin that we have ever committed has been completely forgiven. Pardon the, the personal, even somewhat juvenile illustration, but I can remember as a child kneeling in an altar and trying to name my sins one by one because you just felt compelled that I just got to get it all out. But it would be impossible to think that our sins have been forgiven, to use a term that would be perhaps more fitting into our 21st century setting, to think that our record has been expunged or it has been erased or completely removed. Every year there are, there are multitudes of U.S. citizens that after having lived their life uh, certainly above the bar, having some past error or sin or crime, certain crimes in their lives, that their records can be expunged or their records can be completely erased and all of their rights as quickly as they were lost were restored. Those men and women, if you could stop them on the steps of the Capitol when they're coming down, they could talk to you a little bit about what it means to have your record completely eradicated. To think what it would be like to understand the impact that that would have on our day-to-day living could certainly help us to bring, I think, the focus of that a little more clearly into our spirit world. But not only have we been forgiven, but we have been so blessed by the Lord. Can I just ask you a personal question tonight? Did you ever think you would live long enough to be as blessed as you are right now? Amen. That doesn't mean you have everything on your wish list checked off, but I'm going to tell you that God has been so good to me and he's been so good to you. <laughs> And if there were 10,000 people in this auditorium tonight, it would still be true that God has been so good to us. When we think about his provisions in so many ways, he's blessed us physically and financially and emotionally and spiritually, and the list could go on and on and on. Bless us with family and bless us with friends and bless us with employment and and you fill in your own blank god has just blessed us a few a couple of weeks ago i was in a meeting and at the end of that meeting we uh we had dinner served for our families and and so as we were gathering to to uh, begin our meal someone asked brother mike williams who pastors in apopka if he would pray over the food and if you have ever heard brother mike williams speak he is a very eloquent speaker and so As he began to just, in an impromptu fashion, pray over the food, I was so sad I didn't have a pencil in my hand. But I did catch a couple of phrases. Among the several things he said in that prayer, one thing stood out, and as soon as we were through eating, I pulled out my phone and I began to type these words. He said, God, you are the common denominator here tonight. We know one another because we know you. And so I can say tonight that God, you are the common denominator here tonight. And we know one another because we know you. God has been so good to us. He has blessed us and enriched us. And who would have ever thought in our wildest day, in our wildest dream that God would have woven some of the people into our lives that exist tonight. So when we consider all that God has done for us, I believe that that certainly constitutes our living in a state of thankfulness. And unfortunately and all too often, if we're not careful, we can slide off of the rails of that unthankfulness. And it is so easy to do. If you want to find things to complain about, they're everywhere. Amen. If you want to find things wrong with the person sitting next to you, you won't have to hang around long. If you want to find something wrong with this church and the leadership of this church, including the man with the mic, you won't have to hang around long. I'll disappoint you, I promise. But if we want to find the good, if we want to find the rich, and if we want to find the blessings, that's going to take a sharp pencil. Amen. Because it's going to quickly wear out because the list is so long of the things that God has blessed us with I mean, I don't want to focus on everything that's wrong because that really indeed has a way of, of bringing out a spirit of negativity and a spirit of cynicism. And, and I'm going to tell you that nobody wants to be around people that are cynical and negative and things of that nature. I'm not talking about being unrealistic, but I don't want to let the spirit of cynicism grow in my life. And so as children of the Lord, I believe that we ought to desire every day that we live to show the world around us that there is a better way. There's a better way to live, a better way to walk, a better way to talk. There is a better way. We can live in a spirit and an attitude of thanksgiving. And so in our text this evening in verse number 15 of chapter 3, Paul begins and he points out three um, central things that are perhaps ingredients or key things that, that we have when we have the Lord in our life. And so in verse 15 he said, And let the peace of God Rule in your hearts. Those are four important words. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body and be you thankful. I believe that thankfulness is a Christian virtue. I believe that we ought to strive to ask God to help me to find thankfulness. I have a, a, a great friend, and we text quite a bit back and forth uh, throughout probably any given week. and he has a, a, it's just something he does quite often. And no matter what, no matter what the situation perhaps may be, he really has a way of finding the good in that. And when he finds the good in that, he'll, he'll mention that in the text, and then always following that, he puts silver lining. <laughs> Here's the silver lining. And I'm thankful for people that can somehow push back all the fodder and say, and here is the silver lining. Now, none of us are exempt from wanting to have pity parties from time to time, and, and uh, I think we've all been there, right? But I'm thankful that we have people in our life that keep us focused and pressing forward and understanding that in many cases, if not all, there are some silver linings. The first key to thankfulness certainly concerns our relationship to the peace of Jesus Christ. I believe that we should allow the divine presence of God's peace to have rule in our lives. Now, the word rule used in this passage of Scripture is not an arbitrary word at all. It comes from a Greek word that means to be an umpire or to arbitrate differences. And it's the only time in the New Testament that this word is used in this context. In other words, the principle of peace should be the deciding factor in, in, in a conflict of motives or in a conflict of reasons. That peace should be the principal deciding factor. Let's take the path that will lead us to peace. Now, I have found it, and I'm sure I'm not alone, that it is a lot easier to live at peace than it is to be right. I said, you can be right or you can be happy, and the choice is yours. Now, I'm certainly not talking about peace at any price because that is a very dangerous, peace at any price. That's a very dangerous path to take. But there is, there should be at the center of everything that we are looking for a resolution that would bring peace to that situation. And I believe as members of one body that we have been called to peace We're exhorted to allow the peace of God to regulate, to be the umpire in our life. Peace with God is a a direct result of the atoning work of Calvary's cross. And so when the Lord died on the cross, he restored mankind back to a right relationship with him. Before that, our lives were in direct conflict because sin separated God and man. And so there was an unrest and unpeace. And through Calvary's work, that conflict has ended and because we have made peace with God, we can now have the peace of God, amen, let me reach back a little bit and get you to reach back a little bit, do you remember when you didn't have peace, amen, but when we got at peace with God, then we can have the peace of God. That's the absolute truth. The peace of God is the fruit of the spirit and it's an outgrowth of the presence of the Lord in our lives. And so his presence enables us to experience peace that is not dependent upon circumstances. I believe that in the middle of whatever we're going through that there can be an undergirding of peace, a presence of the Lord that can just keep us. I have mentioned this before Uh, Allow me to say it again, that there have been times in my life and in yours that at certain junctures of our life, we almost felt guilty because we weren't more upset. Please don't let me be alone out here on on this. There have been times, I don't want to sound sanctimonious because I'm anything but, but there have been times that I thought... Maybe I ought to be more troubled about this, but there was just an underlying, I wasn't ignorant of the situation of hand and certainly wasn't ignorant of all the cards that were on the table, but there was just underneath all of that, there was just that peace of God that sustained and held, and and I am very, very thankful for that. That word rule can be translated to act as a go-between. And, 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 and as I said, the only place in the New Testament where this is found, that peace that is standing there is an arbitrator. The connotation is that the peace of, of God should regulate our lives in the terms of our relationship with God and in the terms of our relationship with one another. We should be able to work this out peaceably. God uses, I believe, his peace to guide us And the presence of his peace in our lives Indicates that we are traveling in the right direction So I'm going to come right here where we live Because all of us have experienced making a wrong turn And making a wrong decision And so if you've been there tonight I want you to just help me for the next little while Because when you get and make that wrong turn The peace of God leaves us there's an absence of his peace. And I know when I get in the place where I don't feel the peace of God, I've dropped it somewhere along the way. And we ask ourselves that, that real famous question when we lose something and someone says, well, where, where did you have it last? <laughs> if I had the answer to that... But I have to turn around and I have to go back and figure out where I lost that spirit of peace. Because I've got to get back in right relationship with the Lord. I've got to stop. You know, I think that that when we lose the spirit of peace, it's a sign. It really is. It's a sign that something's wrong. Someone said it's a stop sign. It really, it really is. It should stop us where we are. A, a stop sign that says you need to stop what you're doing and get back on track. God also uses his peace to harmonize with us in his kingdom and harmonize us within the body of Christ. Our text says that as members of one body, we are called to peace. And I believe for healthy relationships to thrive that we have to learn how to dwell together in peace. That doesn't mean that we're in absolute agreement on every little nuance of life, but we have learned how to live together in peace. You are going to have your favorite dish, and I'm going to have mine, and you're going to have your favorite vacation spot, and I'm going to have mine Some people's ideal vacation is just to leave home and run, 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 run and come back home and need a vacation. And that is their idea and that's how they do it and that's how they love it. Our idea of a vacation at times is the opposite of that. And I have friends that say, man, I don't know how y'all do that. I say, come on, I'll show you how. I'll show you how to spell nothing and mean it. <laughs> Uppercase every word, underline it, highlight it in in yellow. Amen. Boy, we all have our, it's it's a good thing, you know. Every place of, of entertainment in the world is not dependent on people like us, and so it's a wonderful thing the diversities of life. I don't think there's a right way and a wrong way, but we all, in the middle of all of those differences, we have agreed that we have way more in common than we have in difference, And so we're going to dwell together in the spirit of peace. In fact, we read in Ephesians 4 and 3, to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. That is our goal. Another important passage of scripture, Paul writes in the Philippian church, chapters, chapter 4 and verse number 4, he speaks about the role of peace in guarding our mind and guarding our heart. Philippians 4 the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice let your moderation be known unto all men the Lord is at hand be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep, shall preserve, shall hold your heart And mine through Christ Jesus. Amen. I believe that the passage of scripture seems to flow together to a whole. There's a flow in these scriptures. Rejoicing in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known to all men. Be careful for nothing and everything. With prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving. Let those requests be made known to God. And the peace of God is going to flow right into that progression of those passages. It passes understanding, but it'll keep your heart and it'll keep your mind through the Lord. Amen. I'm thankful for the whole to rejoice, to have moderation or mildness or gentleness, to have prayer and supplication, and then to receive the peace of God. The peace of the Lord is a wonderful gift. What a tremendous gift it is to us. And we must allow that to rule our heart and to regulate our behavior, to guide us, so to speak. And so when strife prevails, I promise you peace is lost. Amen. And that's a sign. When I, A minute ago I mentioned this. When you lose peace, when we lose that peace, that's a sign to stop. That is a sign that, that something is wrong. Now, you know, I think we could all find ourselves in this and perhaps we all have our own illustrations that we can insert, but certainly there have been times where issues have pressed. I'm not, I'm not talking about unrest between my wife and I, but I'm just talking about situations that we've been in where there was a lack of peace. And later, you know, we just kind of pushed it aside and ignored that. We're not alone, right? right, right. And then later we realized, you know what, we should have we should have heeded that warning we should have stopped we should have paused right there because when the absence of in the absence of peace that should have been our sign but we are human just like you and 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 we've made decisions and we pressed on and we've ignored some red flags amen because we're kind of focused on something else over here and then we realize you know what and that's how we've learned that's how I know to say what I'm saying tonight Amen, I didn't read this in a book, I lived it in a life. When the absence of peace, that's a sign right there to stop, right there, and to say, well, wait a minute, we got to reevaluate this and figure out where we drop this valuable thing, and go back and and, uh, perhaps go back and pray and ask the Lord to touch us. We need to ask ourselves many times, what would the Lord do in this situation? It's the absolute truth. What would the Lord do? How would he respond in this situation? We have to focus on him and what he would have us to do. And as we do this, that peace can return. And we realize that we are in his will and we are back on, we're back on track. How important that is for all of our lives to understand the value of peace in every situation. Now, depending on our makeup, there are some things that's never go, we're never going to be at peace about certain things we're all wired a little bit differently but i don't like to be in debt it's unavoidable at times but i don't like to be in debt so i am never going to be giddy about signing the dotted line about anything and so i don't pray for giddiness because i'm fearfully and wonderfully made and i am who i am and i'm wired the way i'm wired and so in those situations i have to pray and ask god for peace give me peace. They haven't made a car, a vehicle that is worth what they're charging to buy them. <laughs> It hasn't been made. But they're necessary evils, right? And so we have to sign on the dotted line from time to time because they just they're not the energizer bunny and they go only so far. And so we have to ask the Lord to give us peace in that situation. Now I can move on to other things if you want me to, but There's just some things that we're never going to be at peace about or we're never going to be okay about, never going to be giddy about, excuse me, but we can be at peace about them, and that is the peace of the Lord. I'll, I'll move on. Let's turn to look at verse number 16. He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Now, I believe as children of the Lord that we are committed to walk within the precepts of God's word. And that's where we find real peace. And the word of God is what gives us the knowledge of his will. That's how we know the will of God many times because it is spelled out in his word. And so we are exhorted to let the word of God dwell in us richly. And that means that we must allow his word to saturate our heart. Of course, this assumes something, and it assumes that that we know his word in the first place. We have to know it in order to allow it to be saturated. His word certainly cannot dwell in us richly if we don't know his word in the first place. We've got to be exposed to it and make ourselves available to it and vulnerable to it, if I may say. Assuming that people know the word of God is certainly not wise, not in the day that we're living in today, most especially to know that people would understand the Word of God because we live in a day where people have more access to the Bible, to the Word of God, than in any other day in any other generation. But having access to something doesn't mean you're taking advantage of it. So having the Bible on your bookshelf or having it on our bedstand, or having it on our tablet or having it anywhere in our phone, doesn't mean that it's in our mind and it doesn't mean that it's in our heart. Amen. We need more than a casual acquaintance with the Bible. And so if the Lord is in his word is going to dwell in us richly, then it has got to soak us, saturate us. And it must become a part of our very being. And when it does that, then and only then will it transform the way we act and affect how we think. But in order for God's word to saturate us, we have to deal with, with it on several levels. I believe that we first must begin by reading the word of God. I think, and we have promoted this for years, but I think that every child of God should have a systematic Bible reading plan every year. We make them available, of course, to our church, but my goodness, they're just everywhere today. There are so many ways that we can access reasonable Times and, and uh, reasonable passages and, and vehicles to, in, through which we can systematically read the word of God but I don't think just reading the word of God and reading a couple of two or three chapters I think you can read about three chapters a day and, and, and travel through the word of God in 365 days thereabout and, uh, but I don't think just reading two or three or four chapters a day and putting a little check mark beside that box is going to be sufficient for the day we got to study the Word of God. Amen. This is where we dig a little bit deeper and we utilize some tools to help us study guides and commentaries to, again, assist us in that understanding. Now, I'm I'll, I'll, not trying to beat a dead horse, but we certainly live in a day where these things, these resources are just everywhere available and they are free for the most part. And so we have no excuse. That's what my point is, that we can have access to... <clears throat> to the ease and the tools of studying the Word of God. But then the Bible talks about something else in relation to the Word of God, and that is a word that is becoming increasingly more difficult for us every day, and that is to meditate on the Word of the Lord, to read the Word of God, and just let that word soak. Just let it saturate a little bit into our mind, spend some quality time Thinking about how to apply the truth of, of the Word of the Lord to our heart. Amen. Every year I try to do something a little bit different in my daily Bible reading. And this year my wife and I are on a journey together to just kind of dial it back. And, and uh, we have read through the Scripture many times, through the Bible many times, but in a, it's in a systematic fashion. But, but we both agree that this year we just want to take our time. Amen. I want to not just say, i got to get this done today, but I want to take our time. And if something catches my eye, I'm not talking about in my study for messages here for the church or anything else, but I'm talking about just in our daily reading that we want to dial that back and break out some resources and drill down and see what this means. And and it has led to some wonderful and healthy conversations between us in the morning to think about the word of the Lord. And we find ourselves saying, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And it's healthy that we don't just read it, check it off, and move on to the next thing as though we're just trying to climb a mountain and conquer a hill to study the word of the Lord, to drill down in that and then meditate on that a little while and spend time discussing the word of God with others and spend time in Bible studies. and Amen. It helps us to step out in our faith. I've often said, I'll insert it again, that when your faith comes under attack, Teach a Bible study Amen Teach someone a home Bible study You'll not only bless them You'll not only help them to understand the word of the Lord more clearly But you can't travel down through the word of God yourself Without just the residue of that word And the truth of that word just ringing in your heart Again and again and again (laughs) I'm very sincere when I say that And so our text tells us that we ought to be able to teach others. In fact, it assumes that we would be teaching the word of God. And Paul wasn't just writing to the preachers and to the evangelists and to the missionaries, but he was writing to the saints of the church of Colossae. It says, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And so as we teach and admonish the word of God, Amen. If we're not going to be able to teach, then if we're going to be able to teach, rather, you have to be more knowledgeable than the students. You got to be one. You have to at least be one less ahead. You the head. You can't lead someone where you've never been yourself. And so if we, if we are going to increase the knowledge of someone else, we've got to increase our own knowledge. We also see here that to be filled with God's word is to be filled with joy. And it's portrayed the scripture says in singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with a spirit of gratitude or a spirit of thanksgiving and we're singing in celebration now the spirit of the, the scripture uh, uses the word psalms to refer to the uh, a book by that name psalms was the was what we might call the very first song book of the church the book of psalms hymns refer to human compositions of praise to god and uh you know, we have hymns that we sing today and hymns that remind us, they, they remind us of wonderful principles in the Word of God. And uh, But when Paul was writing about hymns, he certainly was writing in a day before what we know as hymns or a hymnal would, would be, but he still is talking about hymns. And then he says spiritual songs, which most likely refer to spontaneous songs of praise, sung perhaps by various members of the congregation during worship, I don't mean that to sound like chaos and calamity, but I believe that, that the, there is inspiration and songs come by inspiration. As a matter of fact, uh, some of the songs that we're saying even at our district conference were written by some of the very people that were on the platform that night. Amen, and there are songwriters in this church and people that sing music that is original to them. Amen, something that was born in our hearts, something that came as a wellspring. There's an interesting parallel to this principle that's found in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. We're told the importance of being filled with the spirit, this feeling it seems produces the same kind of joy in singing and that uh, is, is something that the word of God produces. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go right here to Ephesians real quick. In chapter 5 and verse number 18, the Bible says, and Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but filled with the spirit. And then in verse 19, here comes this parallel. speaking to yourselves in psalms and in hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I'm going to ask a dangerous question, and we're not asking you for a, 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 an example of that, but how many here has ever just made up a song? <laughs> All right. I think there's more. It's just, just, just something in your heart. You just, you know, you, you, you might not even consider yourself a singer, may not consider yourself a songwriter, but there's just a melody in your heart, and they're just words, and just something that just kind of resonates in your life, those spiritual songs. It's just a melody in your heart to the Lord. Amen. I'm thankful to have that access to the Lord, aren't you? Finally, in verse number 17, the Bible says, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. I believe that as children of God, that we ought to do everything, whether word or deed, in the name of the Lord. We must submit, I believe, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ over our entire lives, and whatsoever we do in word or deed, we do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. I believe one of the tests of, of Any action is can we do this while we're calling on the name of the Lord? Amen. Someone says, well, pastor, can we go here and do this? Well, I'll ask you, can the Lord go with you? If he can go with you, you're probably in the safe zone. But if he can't go with you, if somebody knocked on your door and you had to turn it off, it probably shouldn't have been on. Amen? Somebody said, move on now, Pastor. Move on now, Pastor. Can we do it and ask the Lord to help us? Can we do it and ask the Lord to bless us? I've referred to it many times through the years because it really impacted my life. It was maybe quite a simple illustration, but many years ago, Brother Darrell Johns from Atlanta was in Ocala preaching, and he preached a message about living a life that god can bless. I think the title of his message was something like can god bless a chili dog or something like that. And it was born out of a real question in a in a very hurried and rushed moment he and his family went through Sonic and and uh, got a big long chili dog with cheese and cheese uh, chili and cheese and all the trimmings and and then he said and we paused to ask the blessing over the food and he said I thought really can the lord and the Lord, really, bless this. I mean, can I just eat this that I know is going to kill me? <laughs> and he told it so humorously. And then just say, now, Lord, bless this. And so we have never forgotten that. And, you know, like everybody, sometimes we are pressed to the limit with time. And we've gone through the drive-thrus. And, and, and our prayer is this. We just hold it up and say, Lord, do what you can. I I don't have the courage to ask you to bless it, But we just ask you to do what you can But we got to live a life That God can bless If we're going to ask God to bless us Then I got to live in the blessing zone I got to stay where the where the hand of the Lord can reach down and not violate anything to be able to bless us. And we got to evaluate everything by that standard. Could I do this and call on the name of the Lord? Could I do this and then ask God to help me and ask God to bless me? Because His name should control our behavior. His name ought to regulate and dictate what we do every day. And so if we bring every word and if we bring every deed to the test of the presence of God, we won't go wrong. If the Lord could join me in this song, if the, Lord, if the Lord could join me in this event, if the Lord could stand with me here today, then I am probably in a place of safety. Amen. What we need to say in words should reflect his nature and his character. If what we say with our mouth every in our actions, it ought to reflect the nature of God and the character of God. It is quite a challenge, especially in in the area of controlling our words. we got to be reasonable. Amen? I'll give you an example. (laughs) Just um, this week, I don't know what day. Only a few, right? (laughs) I only have a few choices here. Uh, Maybe Monday. If not, it was Tuesday. But... uh, (laughs) I was I was it was Monday. I was coming home and I called my wife and I said, Is there anything you'd like? Uh I'm I'm coming through, coming by the grocery store, would you like? She said, you know, let's get some meat for some sandwiches. And so I was standing in line at the deli to get some meat cut, and a man standing in front of me, a rather common looking man, if I don't know how to say that any better, but he the lady said, Can I help you? And he said, Yes, ma'am. He said, I would like point four five of a pound of ham. <laughs> the gospel truth. <laughs> I wouldn't lie to you anywhere, but I sure wouldn't lie to you here. So <laughs> I was like, I gotta I gotta stay for the show now. I mean I can't miss this. <laughs> .45 of a pound. So <laughs> I watched her slicing the meat. Of course, there's no way to hit that moving target. And she laid it up there and she said, is this close enough? He said, yes. She said, can I help you with anything else? He said, yes, ma'am. I'd like .35 of a pound of cheese. (laughs) So she did her best, but it was a moving target. She said, will this be all right? He goes, oh, yeah, it'll be fine. And he walks away, and, and, and next, I couldn't let it go. I just, I just, I could not let it go. So I said, ma'am, I don't mean to be critical or anything, but I said, did I just hear all of that right? And she rolled her eyes, and she said, yes. Yeah. She said, uh, it's very interesting working behind here sometimes. And so I told her, I'd like a pound of this, and and then we wanted some cheese as well. So she said, she forgot when by the time she got our meat cut she said she said uh, she was hollering kind of not hollering but speaking across the way she said how how much cheese did you say you wanted and I went to do this and she said don't even start with me (laughs) don't don't even start I said well it's a good thing you said that because I was fixing to zing you a figure (laughs) I was it was there it was coming out (laughs) So that guy's not married. I don't know him, but he's not married. I promise you, that guy's single. <laughs> our actions and our deeds should reflect. We should be reasonable is what I'm getting at. We be reasonable and in, in what we do and what we say. And you know, it's it's a lot easier sometimes to avoid the sins of behavior than it is to avoid the sins of speech. Sins of behavior, we've kind of got that nailed down, hopefully. I'm not not going there. I'm not doing that. Sins of behavior, we kind of have those contained for the most part. But sins of speech, now that's a different animal altogether because James said that tongue is an unruly member. And sometimes we have shocked ourselves by what rolled out. We didn't really mean it to come across that way. And we probably should have couched that completely different. And so that's why we can't just let the Word of God be something we get around to. I need it to bathe me and wash me and cleanse me and soak in me. And that when I open my mouth, what comes out would be. Pleasing And to again remember the words of James That we need to be quick to hear and and, and slow Just in disengage that tongue Because that tongue can get you in a lot of trouble Amen Sometimes we have been far more successful In not committing crimes with our hands And actions and deeds But it's that horrifying sin of speech I'm not just referring to curse words And things of that nature But just speaking in manners and and dealing in fashions that we just really should not go there because we've got the Holy Ghost. We have the Spirit of God in our, in our heart, and we have to deal with sometimes very sticky and very awkward situations, but we should do so in such a manner that when we're through with the transaction, we can invite somebody to come to church and sit with us on the pew. Amen. Lord, let me have a spirit of thankfulness to understand the power of your word. Amen. I'm just going to ask you to stand. Musicians, you can stay. But I'm thankful for what we have felt here this evening. and Amen. I'm thankful for the power of his name. And the power to be able, and the authority, and the liberty to be able to invoke that name. Because we're not trying to do things in our name. We have no power and no authority, but but we need the Spirit of God to help us. And so we need the presence of God to help us and to be able to invoke the power and the authority of that name. And so when we pray for the sick and when we do various things within the church, we are not praying for people in the name of Hatch Apostolic Church or in the name of Steve Boyd or in the name of any other minister. We are doing that in the name of Jesus because there is where our authority lies Amen, and so we are, but the Bible does talk about our our words and deeds and invoking the name, of course, water baptism consists both of word and deed, and we certainly invoke that name, but we should actually invoke the name many times in our lives, we pray for many things in our, in the course of our day, in Jesus' name, amen, and that is not just something that we do by habit although we may have a habit of that but we do that because we know really where the power lies and so we have to live our lives in light of who we represent and understanding that we do represent more than just ourselves we bear a holy name the Bible says in the Lord's prayer hallowed be thy name and so I pray often Lord don't let me do anything that would take away from the holiness of your name or Don't let me shine a negative light hallowed. Let me keep that name holy and preserve it with all integrity. And our words and our deeds should speak to people about what's going on in our life. And that should be mercy and grace and love and forgiveness and the goodness of God. We said a moment ago collectively that God has been better to us than we could have ever dreamed, ever dreamed. That goodness ought to leak out of us. It ought to shine out of us. I'm thankful for that. And so we're going to let that name dominate our behavior because I know there's power in that name. The Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue that James says is unruly will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. There's no other name under heaven whereby we can be saved. There's power in the name, grace in that name. And I'm thankful to know Him. I'm thankful that He knows me. Amen. Lord, I love you today. I thank you so much for the privilege of your...
0: This message has been brought to you today by the Media Ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way. And we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic